This is a Hipsters of the Coast podcast. This Doom Travelers podcast is brought to you by Hipsters of the Coast, your destination for magic news, strategy, and entertainment. And by Cast Haven, where you can build your magic collection like a pro. Visit casthaven.com for more information. <laughs> All right. All right. Welcome to another episode of Doom Travelers, the podcast where we talk about magic and play some destiny. I'm joined this week by Matt the Obliterator Jones, Brendan B. Mac McNamara, and Dave Bones McCoy. And this week we're going to talk uh, a little bit about Brendan's uh, experiences this weekend at PPTQ. Uh, and then uh, to finish on a high note, we're going to dive into the Zach Jesse fiasco. Uh, so. <laughs> Um, let's go, uh, around real quick, uh, before, before we get into, uh, Brendan's story, uh, cause I know it's kind of the off season, uh, Dragons of Tarkir, uh, it's three months ago, uh, the, kind of bored of the format at this point, you know, it's that lull where nobody really does anything magic related. Uh, so what's the most exciting non-magic thing you guys have done? Uh, the past few weeks while waiting for Origins uh, to arrive. Let's start with Bones. Uh, I went to go see um, Inside Out, the new Pixar movie. Oh, yeah? Dude, that so good. So good. I've, like, I, haven't I, cried, I haven't cried in a movie since I was a little kid. Oh, man. And uh, I cried twice at this movie. It's so good. So good. Uh, yeah, is that like, I'm is out. It, is it I'm oil? out. No way. Is, <laughs> is, is it what is it? Is you cry? Is it oil spill? Uh, yeah, yeah, I stained. I stained the theater seats with uh, black oil. So, yeah, it's really good. You should go see it if uh, if you haven't had a chance yet. Jones, have you gotten to have you gotten to see uh, Inside Out yet? I've not gone see Inside Out yet. No, I've had zero you? movie time. I've been going to uh, Emily, my girlfriend, and I have gone to my parents' house upstate twice in two nice. weeks. So a lot of our time is in that. Um, but I also I learned how to kick a soccer ball properly. For the oh first yeah, time in my life. That's been that's been my major accomplishment. Yeah, that's great. Congratulations. Yeah, way to go, soccer. <laughs> what about you, Brendan? Uh, so I was at my friend's house on the Fourth of July, and we we like cooked some food and hung out during the day. And I timed it just perfectly that I drove back into Denver as the fireworks were going off. So I got to. Do the like scary driving on the highway uh, while watching the fireworks go off in downtown. Nice, which was pretty nice. Cool. Nice. I missed out for the most part on fireworks. Uh, Sarah and I drove out to Scranton, Pennsylvania, uh, to visit a friend of mine from college, and uh, that was fun. Got to hang out and do some things. Other than that, I'm uh, mostly just busy wedding planning and. Uh, uh, because we're crazy, Sarah and I decided that uh, two or three weeks before our wedding, uh, we're going to move to a new apartment. Uh, <laughs> we found so a great, smart. We found a great deal on a rent-controlled apartment in Astoria. Uh, for those of you who are not from New York, I guess you can just you know fast-forward this part of the podcast. <laughs> uh, but we found a deal on a rent-controlled apartment in Astoria, and 
uh, rent, sorry, rent stabilized, not rent controlled, rent stabilized. And uh, so we're going to move uh, towards the end of August and then get married in September, and it'll be exciting. Uh, so that's so that's what we've been up to. So are we going to be able to let you still write for hipsters if you're living in Astoria? I don't know. What are the rules on that? Can we? Can are people from Queens allowed to write for? I mean, I know we have people from. I know we have people from Massachusetts, but that's practically Brooklyn. Yeah, but I mean, like, like BMAC moved to Denver, and like that's that's definitely still. That's pretty hipster. City, yeah, so, yeah. Like, but a store. I mean, there's like a there's a hookah bar nearby. <laughs> so I feel like that counts for something. Alex Owen lives in Astoria, so. So that means I guess we'll just never see Rich again. Oh. <laughs> I mean, plenty of kitty pics. That uh, I, I, I promise, promise not to. <laughs> I, I, I promise cats. you'll see me yeah. as much as you do now, Dave. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, so that's exciting. Uh, but of course, magic is still around, despite the fact that uh, nobody plays it until the new set comes out. Um, so, uh, BMAC, you went to uh, PPTQ? Yeah, played some Modern Masters, right? Yeah, on Sunday, uh, they had a local store hosted a Modern Masters sealed PPTQ, which was pretty awesome. Uh, it's definitely worth the chance to go play that format again and you know, maybe open up some cool cards and maybe qualify for the opportunity to qualify for the Pro Tour. Right. Um, <laughs> so I, I went. Every mage's dream. And it, it was very cool. They... They pre-registered all the pools and then put them in sealed boxes or deck boxes and then just randomly handed them out. So oh, nice. you didn't you didn't have to register the pool. You didn't have to be like, oh, do I want to not play in this thirty-two person tournament that I got up at like eight a.m. on a Sunday morning to go play in just because I got a dark confidant or something, right? Um, and so of course I pull mine out and they're, they're all sorted in order. And the top card on it is Emrakul, and I'm just like, well. I'll take it, but <laughs> it's not the awesome rare you want to put in your sealed pool. Yeah, and, uh, not quite. And I got the double whammy of I also had Eye of Ukin in my pool. Wow! Is, like these are like the sure, two. So you went for it? Did you go for it? No, I, I mean I was thinking about <laughs> it. I was like, you could play it, but you still have to have like thirteen other lands <laughs> and play to cast Emrakul. <laughs> Like that's pretty hard to do, and my pool was just bad overall. It didn't have a lot of. It certainly didn't have enough stuff to like justifiably make it to the late game to be able to cast Emrakul. However, <laughs> um, I'm going to write more about it in my article this week, so you should definitely check it out. But cool. I, I had two awesome accomplishments. One of which I will not mention at all. If you have to read, but the other one I will say is I. Managed to win game one by decking my opponent as time was called, <laughs> uh, which Deck is game yeah. one. Game one. Wait, so so you won the match one nothing. Yeah, we were playing this match. It was going on forever. He had so many powerful creatures, and I'm playing this dinky artifact deck, and I'm using my equipment in order to make my guys big enough to be able to trade with these like <laughs> giant creatures he keeps attacking me with. And at some point, he's playing so slowly, and I'm like. I realized at some point that the only way I win this match is if I just win game one and it lasts a really long time. And I look at his deck because he, like, I'll go into it later, but it was like, right. there was a way that I could, I could foreseeably take it as a strategy without, like, really stalling or anything. I just played normally, but I, like, I only attacked once the entire game. Uh, wow. So that was a lot of fun. 
Uh, I ended up going 3-2 in the five-round event, which is good for like, I don't know, 13th place or something, which, right. <laughs> you know, whatever. But I, I did have a weird kind of pseudo angle shooter cheating moment that I don't know how I feel about. Um, right. so, I, so I'm playing an opponent who I know, and I know this person is sort of an angle shooter and has that reputation, and I've, I've seen it. So, so I'm already like on high alert. But my general approach when I'm playing someone like that is just to be very aware, but like say as little as possible and just like see if I can know what's going on. And if they get caught in some big mess, then I'll call a judge. But I try not sure. to, I try not to play into their hands of like calling a judge on all these stupid things where I know that nothing good is going to happen. So we go to roll our dice to start the match. And I roll first, I get an eight. We did high roll with two dice. And so he picks up the dice and he rolls them towards himself. And like the first one stops really quickly on a four. And the second one is like rolling towards him. Like it's going to go off the table and he like slightly moves his hand and bumps the die and it stops on six. (laughs) And so he wins and I'm watching this and I'm like, did he do that on purpose? What? Like, 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 is he practicing how to like, like, roll? Why would you roll the dice towards yourself? You know, and in a really weird way, it it seemed so that's, unlikely that you could like plan that's, that that's, out. Yeah, that's that seems kind of messed. So, so you think he may have uh, may have planned that to roll the dice toward him and then knock it off the table to to hit six? Man, that's I don't. I wouldn't put it past him. You know, it was just one of those situations. Right. It's like, because it was, I was just going to be like, you can't touch the die while it's rolling, <laughs> you know, because like he did, yeah, up perceptively stick his hand out and the die bumped his hand and then it stopped. Yeah, if it's going to go off the table, then you, it goes off the table and you roll it again. Yeah, it's common, it's proper dice etiquette. Yeah, that's what I thought. And then I considered calling a judge and saying he had to re roll it, but I was just, I really didn't care. I was like, whatever. Uh, I I think I was rewarded for my for just not thinking too much about it because he immediately chose to play first and then mulliganed and then like never cast anything in game one. So oh yeah yeah. Speaking of mulligans, uh, before we get into Zach Jesse, what do you guys think of the uh, new mulligan rule for the Pro Tour? Awesome. Uh, in case, yeah, for those who are at home, in case you haven't heard, uh, at the Pro Tour for Origins, uh, players uh, after they make a mulligan decision. Uh, they will if their uh, if their starting hand has fewer if their hand has fewer cards than their starting hand, so basically fewer than seven, uh, then uh, they will get the opportunity to uh, scry one. Uh, so basically, you resolve your mulligans. Both players resolve their mulligans, uh, and then uh, you resolve any other before game effects like ley lines, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, and then before the game starts, they'll uh, scry one. So did they did they justify why they were going to test this out at a pro tour of all places? Shouldn't they be if they're going to make a rule change? Shouldn't they be already have had testing? I don't I don't know. It seems so strange that they would do it at a pro tour rather than you know have it pre tested already and pro, pro tour beta test. Yeah, that just seems so strange that they would do that to those pros. Yeah, I think. I don't know, Matt. You're excited about the change? 
Yeah, I mean, anything that makes it less likely that I have to sit there and watch somebody lose because of mana screw or something uh, right. seems better. Yeah, I think, you know, the decision to do it at the Pro Tour, um, I'd imagine it's a tough call, right? Because they, they obviously tested it internally. Um, and, and Matt Tabak said it was related to um, the decision to make Scry evergreen. Um, so uh, I'm not too surprised that those two kind of came out hand in hand. But uh, I think it's a matter of just trying to test it in isolation at a single event. Um, obviously, there's concerns still. Uh, otherwise, they would have just made it a blanket rule. Um, so they must be looking for some specific feedback uh, that they think they can best get from uh, pro players. So I don't know, BMAC, how do you feel if you were at the Pro Tour, because you're the only one of us who's actually been uh, on the Pro Tour, uh, how would you feel about this change? Um, it's a little weird, uh, just because it's taking something you were kind of used to and didn't have to think about that much, and now you know potentially changing the strategy. And certainly at some level, there will be decks that are improved slightly by this mulliganing process yeah. than others. Uh, this Pro Tour is standard, so I would imagine it's mostly like multi-card combo decks or Delver or like the mm -hmm. decks that people are talking about the most that mm -hmm. would definitely yeah. benefit from getting a peek at their top card and shipping it if it's not what they want. Right, um, of course. But, I mean, like anytime you introduce something like that into you know, the Pro Tour where everyone is trying to game out all the little edges they can, uh, it's something. And it might, probably the biggest effect is that people will waste time trying to figure out if it matters and they won't come up with a good deck because they spent time thinking about that. <laughs> um, but I, I think I would be fine with it. I would have to remind myself to do it just because I've never done it before and I probably would forget. You know, right. I could just see sitting down for the first match and you mulligan to five and then you like your opponent's got seven and they're like ready to go and you're like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's like, oh, did you miss your trigger? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I guess is it. I guess it might. Will it count as a missed trigger if you uh, if you forget and then you're in like the middle of turn two and you're like, oh, I forgot to scry at the start of the game. Will the judge just be like, all right, just scry one? Yeah, well, it's a, it's a me, isn't it? So you, uh, you get to miss it. Uh, all right, that's good. Well, that's good. I'm, um, I'm glad they did that. So yeah, yeah I guess. Um, yeah, I guess you know we can we can nickname it Pro Tour Beta Test, and uh, you know we'll see. I, I have a feeling because it's standard that the impact is going to be really minimal, other than uh, what Matt pointed out, which is that hopefully there'll be fewer games, uh, especially on camera, uh, fewer games that are just complete blowouts because of uh, variants. Um, and that's another thing about putting it in the Pro Tour is that. Variance is an important part of magic, right? Mark Rosewater's talked about this a lot, how variance uh, is one of the great equalizers uh, in Magic the Gathering. Uh, and how, while many people complain about the mana land resource system, he feels it's one of magic's core strengths. Um, adding the scry ability to every game you play um, is going to replace some of that variance with skill. Uh, and I wonder if that's something that they want to keep away from uh, kitchen table magic, uh, but that they want to uh, 
have on at the pro level uh, so that pro magic uh, benefits uh, from it. I mean, I, I, honestly, this is already part of kitchen table magic because the commander uh, mulligan rules are an extension of, of this kind of logic. Um, right. You, you get to mulligan, I think, X number of cards. I, I forget exactly how it is, but you, you get to scry two before you make your mulligan decision and then it goes right there. So, I mean, it's, it's not like this isn't already part of casual magic. And I would imagine that's, that was part of, of the inspiration for this, uh, this rule change since commander has pioneered it as an effective way. To yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they roll it out further after this, possibly to the next pro tour. Uh, and it'll be really interesting to see what the metrics are on uh, player win-loss records uh, after uh, after they mulligan and scry versus uh, keeping their opening seven or versus people who mulliganed uh, without scry. So I don't know. It'll be uh, it's a, it's an interesting change for sure, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing what happens uh, in a few weeks at Pro Tour Origins. Um, oh man, trying to capture this point here. So, I know. So, uh, Matt, quick question. Yes. Yes. Why uh, should Zach Jesse have been banned? Uh, quick question. I mean, I'll be super honest. I super barely know what any of this is about because I haven't paid much <laughs> attention to it. And I mean, should he be banned? I think that a corporation has the right to police its own corporate whatever, however the hell it wants to. So yes, probably. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, so for those of you like Matt who uh, haven't really paid attention or just don't really care about this kind of thing because uh, you have better, more important things to do with your life, um, Zach Jesse uh, made the top eight uh, of a Grand Prix uh, recently. I, I actually forget exactly which one. Um, but uh, uh, when he did so, uh, Drew Levin... Uh, on Twitter, pointed out that he is a convicted sex offender uh, for a crime that uh, he uh, plea took a plea bargain for uh, in college. Um, so Drew Levin points this out um, with the intent that uh, he didn't want uh, Zach Jesse uh, featured uh, to be get to, to be given a feature match uh, anymore. Uh, he felt it was bad for Wizards' image. Uh, he, he was a little uh, brash in the way he posted it, uh, of course, and, and, and that led to everyone becoming aware of it, uh, and, and et cetera, et cetera. And that was about two months ago. So then on uh, Tuesday, Wizards, at the end of June, updated the banned list, the suspension list. Uh, and roughly, I think almost 25 people were actually added to it. Um, most of whom were DQ or cheating infractions from the RPTQs from that weekend. Uh, but one of which at the bottom of the list was a 35-year ban uh, for Zach Jesse. Um, presumably, uh, the statement, and based on the statement Wizards put out, uh, it's because of his, because he's no, you know, because of his conviction. Uh, there was a feeling that. Uh, his presence at tournaments uh, could potentially create an unsafe environment. 
uh, and wizards uh, did not want anyone to feel unsafe. Um, so, 35-year ban uh, for a man who's uh, 30 years old. So, essentially, this is a, a lifetime ban uh, for Zach Jesse. Um, so, now that you know, Matt, you still, uh, still agree? Agree with the banning? Uh, yeah, I mean, the guy can still play non-sanctioned magic anytime he wants. He can't play Moto. Um, they took his and- Moto account. Can't, that's right. So they also, yeah, they also I mean, seized so. his Moto account, uh, and uh, they 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 offered him a cash a cash out price. Um, yeah. Well, it seems like that's actually a nice thing that they did for him. Right. Uh, it's something they, they actually don't. So they actually have, have no. To play Moto anymore. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If yeah, they so, would, if so if they so offered cool. to everybody who plays Moto to get cashed out for the value of their cards. Uh, a significant number of people that. would take it. Yeah, that <laughs> yeah, sounds great. Um, just have to be. But I think. I think Magic: <laughs> The Gathering should be a very, uh, you know, sanctioned official Magic should be a very safe environment for all people of all genders and lifestyles and things like that. And you need to. It just needs to be safe and okay. And a convicted sex offender probably has no business playing tournament Magic. So yeah, I mean, I'm. I, I feel very similarly. Um, a lot of people don't feel that way. Um, it seems, or at least a lot of people uh, on Twitter and Reddit. Yeah, it touches, uh, it touches a very like sore point in uh, like a socially conscious mind because you you want to believe that the justice system is there for rehabilitation, and once you're punished, you know you 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 shouldn't just continue to get punished forever like that's right yeah i hear that so 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 you like the social liberal in me wants to really wants to say no we shouldn't hold your criminal record against you but at the same time like this is supposed to be i mean wizards is a private company uh, they can do mostly what they want and uh and at the same time like there are kids and young girls you know who who come to these uh these tournaments and uh, i mean you don't you don't want a parent i, th- I think bmac tweeted this uh, uh, you don't want a parent reading an article uh saying that someone like this could set it sit across from your daughter at a magic tournament right like right you're not going to let your child go to a magic tournament if you think that he uh, he or she's going to play uh, a rapist so. yeah yeah another a, a game store owner uh through, through through someone else posted on reddit uh, a game store owner basically said look i'm not going to be the one to explain to some kid's mom why it's okay for this sex offender to be here uh, it's, and like that's that's you know wizards can't put store owners in that position. It's incredibly unfair. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I mean, and look, the so the, so the community backlash was pretty massive, um, and uh, you know the arguments against wizards uh, kind of fall into two varieties. I would say three varieties. Um, the main, the main rat, the only, the, the rational argument, the most rational argument is a call for transparency. Uh, people are upset because they're worried that wizards, uh, isn't sharing, uh, policy decisions with the rest of the community. Um, and, uh, if they don't know the policies, how can they, you know, avoid being banned? Uh, to which the simple answer is don't be convicted of, uh, assaulting someone sexually 
<laughs> but uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people have uh, a lot of concerns about it um, from that angle about the transparency of wizards. But like Matt said earlier, uh, as a corporation, uh, you know, they're not really required uh, to have any kind of transparency. But uh, it's a very sore subject because the whole issue of uh, corporate politics versus the community hive mind kind of came to a head because magic, of course, and as we discussed uh, in the past with regards to women in magic, um, magic players uh, like to think of magic as some great meritocracy uh, where, you know, you, we, we don't care about anything. We don't care about race. We don't care about gender. We don't care about your past, present, or future. All we care about is whether or not uh, you're good at magic. Uh, and I think for many years, especially in magic's early days, that was very true. We only cared about people winning at magic. Um, but nowadays, uh, wizards is clearly uh, very concerned with their image uh, and their reputation. Uh, and, and those are important things uh, for wizards in order to grow the game. Uh, and, and when it comes to their, that image, uh, wizards is not, magic is not a meritocracy. Uh, it's not about who's best at magic. Uh, it's about who is and isn't good for the growth of the game uh, and who is and isn't good for uh, you know, the perception of the magic tournament field. So in that sense, you know, the hive mind meritocracy kind of got completely shattered when wizards comes out and says, uh, we don't care how good you are at magic. If you do something that we think is a threat to the game, uh, we will get rid of you. Um, and that's something that in the past was traditionally held for people who cheat, uh, like Jared Betcher, Mike Long, uh, or people who uh, assault other people at tournaments, uh, uh, or people who steal at tournaments. Uh, but now, in the past uh, 18 months or so, we've had two high-profile incidents uh, of people who did not do any of those things uh, uh, and, and were banned uh, for some amount of time, of uh, Zach Jesse being the most recent and the other one being Sidney Blair, uh, who was the crack gate guy. Uh, and these are people who Wizards perceives uh, as a threat, uh, and, and rightly so. Um, yeah, I mean, like, the... It, I saw some interesting tweets comparing uh, the Zach Jesse banning with the banning for people like, um, uh, wow, I'm totally blanking out his name, the guy who explored too many times. Oh, Alex Bertoncini. Yeah, Alex Bertoncini, how, how, uh, how this lifetime banning uh, just gets compared to people who routinely cheat over and over. Um, and, and just how it, it bothers... Uh, some slightly less sensitive people uh, to play against cheaters more so than someone who has a criminal past. Uh, so, so, I mean, I think, I think that is also a source of some of the questioning of Wizard's decision to ban this guy basically for life, uh, for something that he did a decade ago, as opposed to banning someone like Bertoncini for life when he definitely deserves it. Right. Right. It's, it's, a, it's a very good point. I mean, we've talked about cheating a lot, uh, but, you know, I don't think it's 
uh, cheating at magic tournaments uh, and the presence of a person with a criminal past, like uh, a violent criminal past of sexual assault, um, they're really apples and oranges or apples and unicycles. I mean, it's, 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 they're very different uh, things uh, to compare. Um, and, and, and cheating, and I don't want to get too much into cheating, but uh, it's a systemic problem with magic. Uh, you know, we see it every, almost every modern tournament now, uh, you see it on camera, you know, it's happening. Uh, there is a systemic cultural problem, uh, that this community has with cheating. Uh, and, and that needs to be addressed in a very different way. Um, wizards cannot just give lifetime bans out to everybody who, you know, plays two explorers. Uh, or plays two lands off of one explorer. Uh, you know, it's it's just uh, it's got to be uh, more of a case by case basis when it comes to cheating, uh, and uh, you know there has to be a policy, and and the judges have to be the ones who enforce the DQs, and players uh, need to be vigilant. Right? This is a this is a systemic problem uh, that wizards has to directly police cheaters. Um, otherwise, the game becomes unplayable. Um, and that is a completely different issue uh, from people feeling uncomfortable around uh, Zach Jesse. Uh, and specifically Zach Jesse, right? This isn't about any other people that anyone else is uncomfortable around. And that, that's the second point that a lot of people were trying to make uh, uh, around this 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 banning, uh, which is kind of like a where do you draw the line? You know, like oh, if if Wizards is going to ban Zach Jesse for sexually assaulting someone, then who's to stop them from banning me for not paying my parking tickets? <laughs> uh, you know, it's it's kind of that extremist argument. And God, Sam people Black are so stupid. <laughs> uh, and Sam Black posted something to Facebook. Uh, talking about uh, a story from South Carolina about uh, an African-American uh, family uh, or party. It was a large group. It was a party of about 20 people at a, waiting for a restaurant reservation, about 24 people, I think it was, or 28. The, the actual number doesn't matter, but it was more than 20. Um, and the gist of the article is that the restaurant manager ended up asking them to leave because their presence made other guests feel uncomfortable. Um, and it was the simple existence of a large group of African-American people uh, made other patrons uncomfortable. Uh, and so Sam Black said that, you know, posted this story uh, with a comment along the lines of, this is what happens when we let fear uh, drive our decisions. Um, uh, you know, comparing it to Wizard's decision to ban Zach Jesse uh, from Magic tournaments uh, is apparently now, you know, the same as deep-seated racial segregation issues that the South is coping with. Yeah, um, Jesus. Sam Black really said that. Uh, it was definitely the he he didn't say it was the same thing, but he wanted people to know that that is the extreme end of that line of thought. Well, um, thank you for letting us know. Thank you, Sam Black. <laughs> I usually yeah, I don't mean, think that guy's a jackass, but that's he's a jackass. Yeah. Well, I mean, magic players are just like smart people who want to try and think of new ways to look at things. And sometimes you're a little too abstract and don't understand the actual details of what's going on. 
Uh, I mean, I think this really just comes down to the long time tension of the corporatization of magic, you know, when it got bought by Hasbro and, you know, the fundamental thing is magic is a whole high profile product that makes Hasbro money and Hasbro as a large corporation with shares and shareholders, like they have a duty to preserve their image, especially when you're operating with things like magic, which are, you know, so much of the value is tied up in, the image and the idea of what the game is. Um, you know, if they know about this and they let it keep going on and they don't do anything about it. And then, you know, it doesn't even have to be like someone gets like Zach Jesse kills someone at a tournament or something. It's just as much as, you know, like rich posted in his article, he wins a pro tour or something, anything close to that. And an article gets published talking about how magic is known for years that this guy you know, committed sexual offenses while in college and, you know, it got played out in the media or whatever. They knew about it and they didn't do anything about it. And then they're going to get sued if, you know, suddenly the company loses a bunch of money as a result of bad publicity. Right. And they just, they have to, that's not, like, they can't mess with their image and they have an obligation not to do so. And so the, like, something like this, they, they can't really tolerate. Uh, it's not worth the risk. Whereas, yeah, exactly. you know, cheating, you know, they don't want to ban people. Obviously, why would they want people not to be able to play in a tournament that they're collecting right. money out of? <laughs> you know, they, like, they obviously don't want to ban cheaters. They don't want to, they want people to be, re- be rehabilitated. They want to create sure. a system. But they don't want to deal with someone, especially someone who seems very unrepentant and kind of not like the sort of person that they, they don't have a lot of confidence that continuing to interact with him is going to lead to good things. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that's a, you know, a lot of people kind of focus on that point, right. That, uh, you know, it's something that happened a long time ago and shouldn't we, you know, shouldn't wizards, uh, respect the justice system and, uh, and, and, and really it comes down to, you know, a simple question, which is which situation, uh, is more likely to get wizards sued. Uh, and for like 99.99% of players who do something questionable, the answer is uh, don't ban them because it's less likely that the, you'll be sued that way. Uh, but in the case of Zach Jesse, they, they must have, you know, wholeheartedly felt that uh, a lawsuit would have been viable uh, and, and uh, that it was something they weren't willing to risk, take a risk on. Um, and I think that also, you know, helps explain why they aren't saying anything about it because, sure, you know, they, they have to be very careful what they say about Zach Jesse in public. Yeah. Um, and, you know, sure, they can repeat the words that were in a public court document stating things he did, but, you know, even in that situation, it's usually not a good idea to insult right. someone who happens to in Zach Jesse's case, be a law student who wants to be a lawyer, but someone right. who is a lawyer who's already very mad at you for you having taken something from them. You know, there's right. a very good chance if they say anything explaining why this situation was justifiable, that he'll sue them for defamation or whatever. Exactly. He'll at least, right. and even if he's going to lose, it gives them enough to be able to file a case and then they have to deal with that. Right. It's one of those things where it's like, you know, talking with your opponent during a game and you're like, Oh, you should just say nothing because you don't give them anything. And in some situations like this, that's true. But 
the only way well, it's, it, you, you know it goes back to yeah it goes back to exactly what matt said which is this is uh the corporatization of magic uh you know and like dave said it's it's something that uh has been you know it's something that started a long time ago uh, but now that, uh, t- and to be honest, a lot of other products at Wizards and Hasbro have not done very well financially. Um, you know, we've seen the quarterly reports that come out. Um, Hasbro's lifeblood, uh, and certainly Wizards' lifeblood, is magic. Uh, so from a corporate perspective, in order to protect the interests of the company, uh, means protecting the interests of Magic the Gathering, uh, whatever that means. It is... It is easily uh, one of the most important IPs that the company has, and they're certainly not going to do anything to jeopardize that. Uh, and and you know it it sucks to have to talk about a situation in the magic community uh, from a purely legal standpoint, um, because you know that's not the kind of community that we have, right? It's a very uh, you know it's a community that's largely um, consists of outsiders. Uh, so anytime that we have this kind of us versus them mentality, uh, most of our community feels like uh, them. We've already felt like others our whole lives. Uh, so it's one of those damn the man situations. Uh, so from that perspective, damn it kind of sucks. Yeah. Uh, from that perspective, it, it sucks. But uh, the reality is that everybody wants uh, what's best for 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 the game, uh, and and people need to uh, understand that uh, that you know, and and that's not even getting into the fact that uh, I don't want to be anywhere near uh, someone who's a sex offender, uh, least of all someone who's as uh, cold and, and and unrepentant as as Zach Jesse. So you know, in case anyone thought I, I'm not trying to be purely cold and legal about it. Uh, it's a terrible thing, uh, and uh, I'm glad that Wizards uh, decided that uh, it meant enough to them uh, that they felt the right thing to do was to, to ban him. So, yeah. Happy thoughts. <laughs> pre-release this weekend. Yes, pre-release this weekend. Uh and you guys going to the pre-release? I know Matt's not going to the pre-release. Dave, you... Uh, nope. No, I'm Dave. going to a wedding. Oh, nice. Be in Hawaii, not pre-releasing. Hawaii? Oh, wow. What about you, Brendan? You're going to go? Uh, yeah, I think I'm going to try and go to one of the local store pre-releases. Okay. Now. I have plenty of I options think, and nothing. I need to check the times. I might, I might go. I might see if I have time between packing and/or wedding planning to uh, hit up Twenty Sided. Uh, maybe check out one of their. Uh, make sure if you're going on Saturday to have a couple of extra dollars on. Yeah, premium. You'll have to pay for premium. Release. Get the I'll VIP. Sure, package. I'll be sure to let you guys know how that all is. Uh, yeah. So. Uh, unfortunately, this episode is going to have to go on forever because Wizards just banned the button I used to turn off the stream. Hey, Guardians. Thanks for tuning in to the Doom Travelers podcast. You can find more at doomtravelers.com 
or follow at Doom Travelers on Twitter for show updates and other nonsense. Make sure to subscribe to Hipsters TV on YouTube for videos of our previous episodes, and don't forget that you can find audio-only versions of the Doom Travelers podcast on iTunes. For your host, Rich Stein, and Matt the Obliterator Jones, I'm David Bones McCoy. See you next time. Now they pass William Howard Tucker.